Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Crixie. How are you guys doing? I hope you're well. Um, this morning, we are going to continue our deep dive into grace. Um, last week, we kind of set out our aims, and um, we were aiming to expand our view of grace so that we can be walking in its fullness, so that we don't miss out on anything good that God has for us. If you missed last week's message, it is available on the Rehope podcast. I think it's worth a catch up on, but I would. Um, But here's a little snapshot for you, and maybe um, just a nice reminder for some of you too. Um, There are three dimensions of grace. Three things that exist and are like distinct from each other, but are connected to each other, that interact with each other, that build up the big picture of what the whole big grace thing is. Those three dimensions are as follows. Receiving unconditional acceptance from God, which we talked about last week. Being cleansed from sin, which we're going to talk about this week. And receiving empowerment to live a godly life. And that's coming up next week. The unconditional acceptance dimension of grace is expressed in God adopting us into his family. That happens when we give our lives to Jesus, but it's also expressed continually. We talked about how if you have like a really deep sense of your unconditional acceptance at the expense of the other two dimensions of grace, that can look like entitlement, that kind of looks like you want the perks of being in God's family without any of the responsibilities, that'll probably look like Um, We live a lives where we think our actions, whether good or bad, don't really matter at all. That's not a good thing. And that's if we're like really like heavily weighted towards that area. But if we're weak in that area and we've got like strengths in the other two areas, that can be expressed as legalism. And that um, usually looks like imposing um, our own conditions on top of God's unconditional acceptance, and it usually looks like applying those conditions to ourselves and projecting them out onto others. And last week we talked about how we want to continually receive unconditional acceptance grace and show it to ourselves by reminding ourselves of that unconditional acceptance, and it's a good idea to find someone who we know and trust to help us with that, to show grace to us, and to hold us accountable when we are being legalistic. Boom, you're all caught up. You're welcome. This week, we're going to focus on the cleanse from sin dimension. And I think this is like a classic um, dimension of grace. Like, I, I think we all have an understanding of the like forgiveness aspect that goes along with grace. I mean, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We get it, we get it. Salvation is all tied up in the whole grace thing, in our understanding, and that's great. But again, we're gonna see that there's even more to it, and it's even more amazing than we thought. And we're gonna look at an example of this grace in action. And we're gonna look at Acts chapter nine. So if you've got a Bible with you today, now's a really good time to look that up. Um, But if you don't have one with you, that's no problem. The words will be up on the screen. 
as I read. So Acts chapter 9, um, starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 20, and it goes like this. Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, he said, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He replied, but get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days, and he did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. He replied, get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Lord. Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house, he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, regained his strength. So was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the son of God. Yo, a pretty famous story, one that you might have heard before, and there's a lot in it, a lot for us to get our teeth into, but first, let's see where Saul is at with the whole grace thing, at least where he's at at the start of chapter nine. So does Saul have a strong sense of being counted among God's people? Is he saved by grace? Are those the same question? Let's take a look at that belonging uh, to God's people bit first. And Paul has some chat on this in 2 Corinthians. He's Paul now, by the way. And he says, but in whatever anyone dares to boast, talking foolishly, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. He adds this in Philippians chapter three. He says, we do not put confidence in the flesh, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. 
regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So we can answer that first question at the start of Acts 9. Did Saul have a strong sense of belonging to God's people? Absolutely, yes, he did. All those things that are underlined up there on the screen, like his ethnic background, he's a Pharisee, his zeal for following the law, to the extreme, all of that stuff give him confidence that he is counted among God's people. And not only does he have a strong sense of being counted among God's people, he says he belongs more than you do. He thinks he belongs more than anyone. He also says that he's talking foolishly because at the time he's writing these letters, the things that he's talking about, they're not his definition of acceptance and belonging anymore, but they were at the time of Acts chapter nine. They were. So at the start of Acts chapter nine, did Saul feel like he belonged to God's people? Yes, he did. Absolutely yes, convinced, sure. But was he saved by grace? Was he unconditionally accepted before God? And based off Paul's own words, and like that these things that were the definition of his acceptance before, like he says that they don't matter. He says that they don't contribute to your acceptance before God. So according to Paul's own words, we'd have to answer no. No, he does not have that unconditional acceptance grace. But at the start of chapter nine, what about this question? Was Saul cleansed from sin? Well, at the start of chapter nine, he'd say, sin? What sin? What are you talking about? You insulting me? He thinks that he is blameless. But what sin? Well, since you've asked me it, what about abuse of power? What about unjust imprisonment? What about murder? What about hate? Just a few things there, mate. Was he cleansed from sin? No, he was not cleansed from sin. So far, he's zero for two on the dimensions of grace. Our Hebrew of Hebrews is not doing so well so far. But what about empowerment? Was he empowered? Absolutely, yes, he was empowered. He had the backing of the high priest. He has power behind him for sure. And okay, it's not good empowerment, but it's still empowerment is it grace? It's still empowerment. Grace can be abused and used wrongly. More on that next week. But yeah, he's empowered. So, I mean, two out of three ain't bad, but one out of three, yeah, that's probably pretty bad. <laughs> Saul's not doing so good. And the reason why I bring this up now is that I want us to see the connection between being cleansed from sin and being unconditionally accepted. And I feel like we get it. I feel like we get it. Amazing grace saves wretches. Like, we get that. When we are adopted into God's family, when we give our lives to Jesus, and we talked about that last week, we are also justified, and that means that we are changed from wretches into children of God. And I'm really vibing on the Westminster Shorter Catechism these days, and here's what it has to say about justification. Has anybody ever said, I'm really vibing on the Westminster Shorter Catechism before? <laughs> Heard it here first, folks. Anyway, justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So in justification, we can see two dimensions of grace at play at once. God pardons all our sins. We are cleansed from sin when we are justified, when we give our lives to Jesus in that moment. And we 
are counted righteous by him. He accepts us unconditionally as righteous and that's down to what Jesus did for us. It's Jesus' righteousness, it's not ours. And Acts 9 tells the story of this thing happening to Paul, like when he is converted, he is justified, he is cleansed from sin, and he is accepted before God. So that's more like it. Now we're three for three, love that. That empowering one's still a bit iffy on that one, but let's see how we go. So I mean, it's good, and so far I've told you that Acts chapter nine is the story of Saul's conversion and him receiving grace, and I've taken about 12 minutes to tell you something that you all ready new. So let me get where I'm going a little bit faster. Being cleansed from sin happens when we give our lives to Jesus. Amazing. Not only that, we are considered righteous before God to the measure of Jesus' righteousness. Amazing. How righteous was Jesus? Turns out Jesus was very, very, very righteous. And that's the righteousness that God attributes to us. If you have given your life to Jesus, this is your spiritual reality. God considers you very, very, very righteous. And that's a big deal. But maybe you feel like this. Ever feel like that? Like we've been given Jesus' righteousness, but it doesn't feel like that. And sometimes we feel very, very, very icky because we know what we get up to and say and think and all that sin stuff. And it feels like pressure, doesn't it? Do you know, like we have been given the righteousness of Jesus. That is a big deal. That's a precious thing. We better not mess it up. We better not mess it up. And a lot of times when we have that attitude, it can lead us to holy isolation where we have like this really strong sense of being cleansed from sin and we want to stay that way. Good thing. But when we're only focused on that and it's coming to the detriment of the other two dimensions of grace, that's when a problem comes in. See, if we have like a really strong sense of being cleansed from sin, it kind of feels like sometimes we don't want to do anything because we're scared that we might end up doing something bad and then God will be mad at us. And that would be like our unconditional acceptance piece is low. And we don't think that we can do anything good in and of ourselves, so we don't do anything because our empowerment is weak and we end up living like holy ostriches, like heads in the ground and just pretending that like all the bad things aren't there. Like doing nothing out of fear that we might end up doing something bad or we might be influenced by something bad and then later on down the line end up doing something bad so we can end up shutting ourselves away from all the bad like things and we end up in our own little Christian bubble, do you know? And it's only Christian music and it's only Christian movies and it's only Christian friends and it's definitely, definitely no Pokemon. They evolve, you guys. Oh, don't, don't look up, Jamie. Do not look up. Yo, a caterpillar turning into a cocoon and turning into a butterfly is definitely an abomination to the Lord. So we better not do anything like that. Now, I'm being a bit snarky with the Pokemon snark and everything, but like this is a thing that happens to people. And we like... I'm gonna take it a bit more seriously. Versace, if you could take the Pokemon away for Jamie's sake, that would be wonderful. <laughs> anyway, I am being snarky and I, I don't mean to be snarky. I'm just kind of making fun and um, to lighten the mood. But we do this thing where we shut ourselves off. And if that's something that like relates, like you can relate with, 
that like, I kind of feel like, yeah, I, I, do, I do want to live a holy life and I don't know what that means. I can do or I can't do or I kind of just get stuck and I'm scared that I'm gonna make mistakes. I want you to know that your fear does not define you, child of God. Your fear does not define you. You're unconditionally accepted by the Lord. Your fear does not define you. You're a child of God. And he empowers you by his spirit to do good things. You do not need to live in fear of Pokemon or of anything else more serious. Your fear does not define you. Live in freedom, live in power, live accepted as a child of God. Your fear does not define you. That's what happens if you're like too strong in like this one area, you kind of get trapped in fear, holy isolation. But what if you're like, if we're not so hot with the old cleanse from sin thing and we are strong in acceptance and we are strong in empowerment, well, that expresses itself as, as license, like where we can just do whatever we want when we want. And people who struggle in this area are prone to treat sin like it's their demonstration of grace. Like, I can do whatever I want, say whatever I want, whatever. I'm saved by grace. Only God can judge me YOLO. All that sort of like 10 years ago cringy things. Um, the sad bit here is that sometimes we can convince ourselves that what we're doing is okay because of grace. Or sometimes we can even convince ourselves that it's good because of grace. And it's like, oh, do you know what? We're all broken people and we all struggle too, I struggle too, do you know, I'm just like you, and like, you know, you've seen it for me, like, I sin all the time, like, don't worry, but I have Jesus, I have grace, Jesus is for people like us, sinners like us, you can have Jesus too, and it's like we've started to use sin as our evangelism strategy, yikes, and like, when you say it like that, it seems very crazy, but sometimes we do that, or even like as a discipleship strategy, you're a leader and you're like, hey, do you know, like I struggle with these things too, you know, like I've got this going on, but, but you know, I've got Jesus and you do too and you know, we're all in this together and it's like we're using sin as a discipleship strategy and it's just like, yo, like what? that does not, when you say it out loud, it doesn't make sense. But sometimes we end up doing that thing and we tolerate the sin in our lives. We even get to start to believe that some good might come out of it. Did God really tell you not to eat that fruit? Did he tell you a bad thing would happen? No, he's, you're gonna be like him if you eat that. A wee bit of sin is a good thing, friends. Go ahead and do it. This has been his strategy from the very, very start, and he is very evil, and he is very cunning, and he tricks us all the time. But we do not want to continue in sin so that something good might happen. That is a distortion that the Bible is quick to correct. That's not what we're gonna carry on doing. And look, Paul gets this, he wrote this, and he gets it because when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he started off by thinking he was blameless, but then he had this complete realization of like his whole sin and how it was affecting him and his relationship with God and how he, it was affecting the other people around him, like most obviously the people that he, like he murdered and put in prison and all the things like that, but also what about the people who were with him? 
the people who looked to him for an example, the people who saw what he was doing and thought that he was a great leader, people who wanted to emulate him. How is his sin affecting them? Suddenly Paul has got this whole big picture. And all of a sudden he does not want to tolerate that in his life. He wants to get rid of it. He wants to, like, he, he hates it. He wants to get that garbage out of there by repenting. Here's what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says about repenting. And this is re- talking about repenting unto life, which is how they put giving your life to Jesus. Uh, but there's a lot of principles in here that we can take for repenting in general. It says, repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his or her sin and apprehension, like not apprehension, I'm scared of it, more like anticipation um, of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his or her sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. So when you give your life to Jesus, when you repent, you recognize your sin, you're expecting God to forgive you because he's good like that, you hate your sin, and then you turn away to new obedience. So let me ask you this question real quick. Do you hate sin? Do you hate your sin? Do you hate it? When we're saved, we receive the righteousness of Jesus. But our own personal battle with sin usually is a long, ongoing process, and it's peaks and valleys with that one, and win some and lose some, or at least that's my experience. Maybe you can relate. But we need to show ourselves grace in those moments when, when we lose a battle. And we need to show others that cleanse from sin grace when they lose a battle, which is tricky. So how do we do that? Um, well, here's something that Christians say. We just need to show each other a little extra grace right now. Cool. And usually that means that a dude is stressed or whatever, or like there's some stuff going on in someone's life that's like unideal, um, and it's making them be not um, the best version of themselves, and they've probably done something, um, sinned against someone, and hurt them. And when we hear someone say to us, you just need to show a little bit of grace, a little bit extra grace just now, that means we need to forgive them. Yes, good idea. We need to forgive them. Yes, we do. And it usually means they get to avoid the consequence of their actions. Really, it feels like we're being asked to let them off the hook. Bad idea. Bad idea. When we sin, we need to see and be shown cleansed from sin grace. We can show it to ourselves by calling ourselves to more. We can show it to others by calling them to more. And we do that gently and sensitively and fairly, but firmly, all the while showing and demonstrating that we accept them, but we don't need to accept people's sins. The answer is never less grace. And in that, it's like we just need to show each other a little bit extra grace. Sometimes, yeah, forgive you and let you off the hook for your consequences. I don't like that. That kind of means they're, it almost feels like they're free to keep going with that because they haven't felt the weight of that. 
when we call people to more, we're calling them to live in the reality of a child of God cleansed from sin. We do that gently and sensitively and fairly, and we can do it firmly. One of the first sermons I remember Brian preaching when I started coming to Rehope had this like, ooh, excuse me, had this like grace repentance component. And I remember him talking through the process of what you should do when you're um, apologizing to someone and asking them to forgive you. And it went along the lines of, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know I did this thing and I know that that was wrong and I can see that it's hurt you and I'm so sorry please forgive me. And then he followed it up with, how can I make it up to you? And I remember thinking, how can I make it up to you? Mm, that's not grace. Like you're not bargaining for their forgiveness with you. You're not like trying to buy their forgiveness with your actions. Like no, grace is unconditional. Hey, last week I told you that we show people grace without expecting anything in return. Am I backing up on that? Well, Kind of, yeah, yeah, I am. How can I make it up to you? I remember thinking, that's not grace, that's not grace at all. But part of repenting is stopping doing the bad thing and then starting doing the good thing. If you have been caught lying and you have hurt someone with your lies, stop lying, yes, commit to the truth. That's what repenting looks like. How can I make it up to you? Well, maybe if I stop lying forever, that might not completely make it up to you, but at least that you can see that I'm sorry. Part of being sorry is showing people that you are sorry. Part of being sorry is demonstrating your commitment to not hurt other people again like you did before. Part of receiving grace is being called to more, ditching the evil, replacing it with holiness, living in the reality that you are cleansed from sin. How can I make it up to you? Do you remember when you were in your early 20s and you thought you'd figured everything out and then 15 years later, you remember that Brian was right all along? Same. <laughs> Same, I remember that. Maybe you are in your early 20s. 15 years later, you're gonna be like, Brian. <laughs> that happens. Repenting is really important when we are receiving cleanse from sin grace, turning back to God, living in that reality, calling ourselves to more by repenting properly, replacing evil with holiness. Case in point, Saul's on the road to Damascus, all this stuff happens. Look at it, immediately he gets up and is baptized. He, he get, he's fasted for three days and he gets baptized before he ate immediately goes into the synagogues and starts telling people about Jesus. Now he's the son of God. He stopped hurting Christians and then dedicated the rest of his life to helping Christians. And dedicated the rest of his life. Jesus says, I'm gonna show him how much he's gonna suffer for my name. No kidding. He joined with the suffering of the people who he caused to suffer, who were joining with the suffering of Jesus. He knew what it was like. Completely changed. Completely changed. Where was I in these notes? Here I am, cool. So that's something that Brian taught me about, um, about um, repentance. So, yo, if I asked you, do you hate sin? And you thought in your mind, well, sometimes, then fair. <laughs> like, we've probably all been there at a time or two, haven't we? Do you know? And like, that's the way it goes. The battle for us is that we're 
we're trying and we're doing everything that we can. Remember, like Paul says, make every effort. We're trying to do everything that we can to partner with God as we reform our desires. Like our challenge is to have a reawakened heart. Our goal is to have a reawakened heart and be like Jesus, including um, transform desires. And usually that happens over time. So that means we're doing that repenting thing like getting rid of the garbage and choosing holiness. Like we're, and we're gonna do it regularly, we're gonna do it frequently, we're gonna do it habitually. There's a bunch of reasons why we put the repentance part at the start of pre-service prayer. This is one of those reasons. And one of those reasons, we need to constantly be receiving cleansed from grace, or cleansed from sin, grace keep coming back to him to receive that grace, it would be really unhelpful for us to think that we're gonna receive cleansing from sin grace once and then like God ditches us and leaves us on our own to fight a battle against sin for the rest of our lives. Another one of those things that when I put it like that, it just seems crazy and it doesn't make sense. But another one of those things that like subtly we end up doing where we like start off like walking in grace, but then we take on by ourselves. But like that is just not that is just not what we want. It's not, it's not gonna help us. Here's some more Paul chat. He says, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him, that's he is uh, God, um, seated us with him in the heavens with Christ, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Jesus Christ, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift. Not from works that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. Cool. Sometimes when you're reading, and sometimes especially when you're reading Paul, and he likes to make one sentence last for one paragraph, and his, his thoughts just like flow into, into each other, and sometimes he can be like kind of hard to track. And when I get myself in that zone, it's really helpful to ask yourself like simple interpretive questions so you can figure out what on earth is going on. Um, so. We're, we're gonna do that just now and we're gonna do something really as simple as like looking at the verbs and what the verbs do so we can figure out a little bit more of what is gonna go on. So we're gonna play a little game. And the game is called past tense or future tense. And I'm gonna give you a verb and you need to say if it's past tense or future tense and I expect you to answer out loud. Let's go. It's not gonna be hard. Um, let's start off. He raised us up and seated us, past tense or future tense. Past tense, you are right. He already did those things. He already did those things. If you've given your life to Jesus, he already did those things for you. Bonus points, oh, I love bonus points. Bonus points, is that like in the past, like one time that happened? Or is that in the past, like happened a bunch of times? What do you think? We're, we're, we're less sure on that one. One time? One time, that happened one time. We received that saving grace from Jesus one time in the past. If you've given your life to Jesus, that is a past tense thing for you. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, it can be a future tense thing for you, but that's just like making my game a little complicated right now. So we're gonna move on. What about in the coming ages, he might 
display. Is that past tense or is that future tense? We're going to say future tense. Nice one. Do you want a bonus point? Is that something that's going to happen in the future one time? Or is that something that's going to happen in the future again, 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 lots of times? Again, 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 lots of times. Yeah, cool. So in the coming ages makes it sound like it's going to happen a lot of times, right? So we're receiving cleanse from sin grace. When we are saved, we only need that once. But in the coming ages, he is going to give us lots of grace lots of times. Cool, I love that. Okay, you are saved by grace. Past tense, future tense. Past tense. One time or lots of times. Say it with conviction, even if you're wrong. <laughs> like, say it with conviction. One time, Versace's at the back. One time. Love that. Yes, one time. You're saved one time. You don't need to be saved a whole bunch of times. But what about he prepared ahead of time, like, good works for us to do? And it's the for us to do bit. Is that a past tense or a future tense thing? Feels like a future tense thing. Is that going to be one good thing or is that going to be lots of good things? Lots of good things. So we're seeing the picture here. God gives us the saving cleanse from sin grace once when we are saved. And we are adopted into his family and we are justified and we are given the righteousness of Jesus one time done deal we're good. But as we continue with our battle with sin, we are going to need that cleansing from sin, grace, again and again and again and again as we come back to God again and again and again and again so that we can do these good things that God has got prepared for us like lots of times into the future. Just like we saw with the unconditional acceptance thing, like yes, there's like, we receive it one time and it's like, there's like a special sauce with that one, but then we need it continually. We need it continually, we need it continually. That's cool. And we get it continually, we get it continually, we get it continually when we repent. So keep receiving grace through repentance. Repentance language that Brian taught me through pre-service prayer that I still use every time and I find really helpful is, God, I agree with you that. Like that's how I start off my repentance prayers like all the time. Sometimes like just getting the ball rolling with confession, repentance is the hardest part and saying, God, I stand in agreement with you that I don't follow you the way that you deserve. I agree with you that and when I lose my temper, my anger is wrong. I know that that affects the people around me who I direct that anger towards. I know it makes it weird for people who are around me and who are witnessing that. I agree with you that that is not right. I agree that your ways are right. I agree that kindness and gentleness is right. God, I repent. Help me to walk in that reality. That's how I repent. And I start by saying, yo, I agree with you that this thing is evil. I am sorry, I repent, I receive your grace. When you stand in agreement with God that his ways are good and that your ways are not always good, you're coming back in line with his heart. Maybe you drift, you come back in line with his heart. Maybe you drift, you come back in line with his heart. And every time you agree that God's ways are right, you see his ways are right. Your desire for his way is gonna grow and grow and grow and your desire for anger is gonna go down and down and down. As you repent, you will be not only choosing holiness over evil and then demonstrating that to the people and to God that you have chosen that, your desires are going to be being refined 
as you do that. That's really important. We need to be constantly receiving that grace. That's some stuff that Brian taught me about repentance. Here's something that my mum taught me about it when I was like maybe like a young teenager. She told me that for sin to win a battle against you, only two things need to be present. Temptation and an opportunity to act on that temptation. If one of those things is gone, you're in a really good position to win that battle. Like if you're not tempted, yo, you're golden. You're not gonna sin. Usually we don't sin when we're not tempted. Sometimes it happens. Um, But usually we don't sin when we're not tempted. If you don't have an opportunity to act on your temptation, well, then you're usually pretty good too. I mean, the the devil's probably gonna wait around for an opportunity, but like you're gonna be in a way better, uh, with a way better footing for winning that battle. And look, yo, like our desires take longer to be refined and reformed. That is like usually a pretty long process. So what do we do in the meantime? Temptations are hard to control. What do we do in the meantime? We can take some immediate steps and we can eliminate the opportunity. That's something that we can have some control over. Do you, you don't need to answer this one out loud, but do you ever find yourself getting road rage on the way home from work? Like maybe you have a stressful job, maybe you have people at your work who are annoying, maybe you just have a a job that's like boring and it kind of eats away at you and you're driving home and the people, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people out there on the roads are idiots probably including you and me. (laughs) But do you ever find yourself like getting angry and it happens a lot? Like don't let there be a place where anger can get a foothold in your life. Eliminate the opportunity for anger to win that battle. Yo, get the bus home. Like it seems so simple, but if defeat, like if winning battles against anger is as easy as getting the bus home, if winning a battle against Satan is as easy as getting the bus home. Come on, that's easy, but the bus doesn't go near where I live, Crooksy. All right, that's cool, buy a bike. Well, it's raining. Well, maybe if you're struggling with anger, a cold shower might not be the worst thing in the world for you. Like, eliminate the opportunity. Do you know that if you take that internet device into your room and shut the door, that there is going to be internet content that screams at you and you know that you don't have a very strong chance of staying away from it. Yo, eliminate the opportunity. Do not take your internet device. Don't take your phone into your room and shut the door. But I need my phone. That's what gets me up in the morning. If winning a battle against Satan is as easy as buying an alarm clock, buy an alarm clock. I'll buy you an alarm clock. This is actually something that we have got the impart, like the battle against sin is already won. All we need to do is demonstrate it a little bit more. And like flash an alarm clock at Satan and he hasn't got anything to touch you with. Flash your bus pass and he hasn't got anything to touch you with. Like, I know I'm sounding silly, but if winning battles against the enemy is as easy as little things like a bus pass or an alarm clock, And sometimes it feels so hopeless. Child of God, there is hope for you in the form of a bus pass. 
or like whatever, you know what the thing that you struggle with is, and you know what the circumstances where you feel most like tempted to do that are, you probably know what the variable is that you can change. It's probably pretty easy to change. I'm not saying you're gonna win every battle, but you'll know what the variable is that you can change. I mean, I'm saying buy an alarm clock, about the same problem. Jesus said, tear your eyes out. Um, his would be 100% effective, but I'm trying to make it easy for you. <laughs> trying to make it easy for you. But like, don't miss this. Don't miss this. There are simple, practical things that you can do to partner with God in receiving cleanse from sin grace that are way easier to do than you think. Way easier to do than you think. You can beat the enemy way easier than you think because you are cleansed from sin. Because you are empowered by a power that is much, much, much stronger than his. So walk in that power. I'm talking about next week's stuff, so I'm gonna stop. Yo, my dudes, there are three dimensions of grace and one of them is being cleansed from sin. If you've given your life to Jesus, that is your spiritual reality. You are cleansed from sin. And as you continue to walk in that, coming back to God in repentance, choosing obedience, choosing holiness, and like practically taking steps to like demonstrate your spiritual reality in your life, you're gonna become more and more and more like Jesus. You're gonna see your heart renewed, which is what we want, reawakened hearts. Reawakened hearts are so powerful for the kingdom of God. So let's walk forward in that reality as, as cleansed from sin children. I've got a couple of challenges for you this week. Um, first one, look, if you know you've been a bit laissez-faire with the old sin and uh, you know it's hurt people, like apologize, apologize. Like even if you think they're not gonna accept it, like humble yourself and do what is right and apologize and say, I, I'm sorry, I know what I did was wrong and I see that I have hurt you and I'm so sorry, please forgive me and how can I make it up to you and demonstrate to them that you value them and you're willing to make changes because you don't want to hurt them again and you don't want to hurt anybody the way you've hurt them again. You can do that. Um, cool. And number two, um, ask God to refine your, your desires. Ask him to help you to hate sin more and to love what is right more and then purge the evil from among you. To borrow some Old Testament language, if you need to purge um, your road rage, you know what you need to do, like whatever. You know what you're struggling with. You know what, when you're most tempted. You know what the variable is um, to change so that you don't need to do that. Take practical steps this week to eliminate the opportunity for sin to get to you. And the third one, um, reflect on a time when you saw your desires change. Do you know, maybe you have a story of victory over sin. Maybe you used to be tempted in this way, but now, you know, you're just not. Like maybe that was something that you struggled with before, um, and, and now it's just not. And, and you have seen victory over sin in your life already, and now you just don't desire to do those things that you used to do. Like reflect on that. If you're someone who is a journaler and you like to spend time alone with God, like journal about that and, and make sure you thank God for that victory in your life. And if you're someone um, who, I don't know, I, like, I'm not much of a journaler, but I do like to talk to myself in the car when I'm alone. So sometimes I do like a little like audio journal <laughs> to myself um, when I'm alone in the car. But maybe like if you wanna have a conversation with someone that you know and that you trust, um, 
so that it can help you like process through that, that's a really good idea too. Three challenges for you that I think will help you to walk in the reality of your status as a cleansed from sin, child of God, as you seek to demonstrate that you wanna grow more to be like Jesus with your awakened heart. Cool. Um, I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna move into a time of response. Um, God, I, I just like, straight up, like, I just love you. I wanna tell you that I love you. And Jesus, like what you did for us, like we have no hope without you, but we have you and we do have hope. You defeated death and sin and hell and, and the enemy and all of that stuff. And that's real for us too. You gave us your righteousness. You didn't need to do that, but we needed you to do that. And I, I just love you for it. I really love you for it. I thank you that the victory is won. I thank you that's real for us too. Like that's incredible that you share that with us. That's incredible. God, and I pray um, that um, you'll, you'll shape our hearts, change our hearts to reflect how much your sacrifice and your victory mean to us. God, I pray that people will see us and they'll know how much your sacrifice and your victory means to us by how we think, by, by how we speak, and by how we act. God, I, I pray that, we, uh, that you show us and that we receive your cleanse from sin grace more and more and it's evident more and more in our lives we love you so much thank you for all that you do thank you for for all that you are we bless you amen